You're listening to The Fat Guys here on The Fog Network. I'm your host, Matt Rosen, along with my fellow subject matter enthusiast and co-host, Paul Dickerson. Our goal is to be an industry source giving real insights into the renewable energy world. We strive to bring about information on how everyday life impacts the renewable world that surrounds us, with a focus on educating listeners on the history of the industry, its lessons, and the real-world impactful solutions that have come from that, along with how personal, community, and global-level decisions impact the circular fats, oils, and grease economy. All new five, a pretty interesting story to get to now because thieves all over Metro Atlanta, they're stealing what restaurants and thieves call liquid gold, which is something everyone wants. Take a look at this surveillance video. It's of criminals using that white truck to siphon used cooking oil. This is an amazing story. It isn't just restaurant owners who are being hurt by what's become a crime now. It's leading to spills that threaten our water supply and they're causing crashes. This surveillance shows thieves backing up a white van to steal used cooking oil from Devon Restaurant in Midtown Atlanta. They spilled some of the oil. You can see it seeping into the street. I go to turn and then suddenly I'm down. Like my bike is sliding across the road. It's crazy. 17-year-old Ashlyn Whitfield's motorcycle hit that patch of cooking oil and she wiped out. This is police body camera video of her talking to an officer after crashing on Peachtree Street at 15th in July. Fortunately, she only scraped her knee. She snapped these photos of the sand crews used to cover the oil after she wrecked. I was so flabbergasted to hear that there was some secret underground cooking oil ring. The same spill caused a car to crash earlier that morning. And I ended up hitting that pole now. Thieves are stealing used cooking oil from restaurants across North Georgia. Police are trying to find two men who stole used cooking oil from an Athens Chick-fil-A. Channel 2 Action News obtained surveillance videos of thefts in Norcross. Hiram and Pig and Chick in Shambly. Well, it's been going on for years, but it's just gotten really bad lately. Bill Merrick, co-owner of Pig and Chick, says when workers clean out the fryer, the oil ends up in this container. And then the thieves come along and they cut the locks off and lift this up and cram their hose down there to, to steal the oil. Pig and Chick gets paid by a company that recycles the oil. Usually the checks are for a couple of hundred dollars, but with thieves frequently hitting the barbecue joint Sometimes on back-to-back -back nights, they're much smaller. I deposited one for $12. This is a worker for DARPRO, a legit company collecting pig and chicks oil with proper equipment. 300-gallon container behind this restaurant here might be worth around $1,400. Frank Scoggins is head of security for Darling Ingredients, DARPRO's parent company. Right now, used cooking oil is worth about 65 cents a pound. Primary uses are, are, are alternative fuel. It's also used in livestock feed and pet food. But in the wrong hands, oil can create expensive messes. Scoggins says thieves often spill oil like this spill in Baltimore that got very close to a sewer drain. When it goes into the water system, it'll clog. That's one reason the company collects surveillance video to help police catch the thieves. Chamley police arrested this guy caught in the act and on video, he's charged with stealing more than $900 worth of oil from Pig and Chick. I got three container trucks that look like they're offloading grease into um, 
18-wheeler. This is body camera video of Doraville police questioning three men, transferring used cooking oil into a large construction tanker in October. An investigator with Darling Ingredients says it contained about 8,000 gallons of oil worth $39,000. Is the oil stolen or not? No, no. You're lying. No, no, no. Listen to me, man. It's stolen. Man, this is not stolen oil, bro. One of the trucks has the same marking on the front fender as this truck seen stealing oil. But police say the three men are only charged with trespassing because they don't have enough evidence to charge them with theft. Ashlyn Whitfield has this message for all oil thieves. It definitely is not a victimless crime. You're affecting people's safety. Now, the National Renderers Association estimates that up to $75 million worth of used cooking oil is stolen each and every year. Okay, so is this, Karen, one person doing this? We saw a video there. Uh, or is this like a, like an organized ring of people doing this? It's hard to believe, but Darling in Ingredients, which is the company we worked so closely with, says it's both. Uh, they're seeing the organized theft rings and they're seeing some other individuals, but the theft rings are really big in the South. The reality is they steal it and they make money, fine, but you can see the impact it has on like that, that woman who was on a bike and, and all the, the trash and the oil in the streets. Something you would think no one wants, liquid gold. That's in what the police are calling it too. Incredible, really eye-opening. Good yes. stuff, Karen. Well, I uh, hope everyone enjoyed that little news story out of Atlanta, but before we jump into all that, good morning, Paul. Good morning, doing Matt. today? Doing well, how are you? Good. I had my coffee. We're a little later today than we normally are. So finished my full cup of coffee before we started. So should have a little bit more, a little bit more juice, a little bit more zest for this, uh, for this discussion today. It's one of the more exciting and by exciting, uh, I mean, interesting and unknowns and probably people saw in the, that little news clipping people just becoming aware and fascinated by this topic of the, the grease pirates and the liquid gold. I thought it was so, fascinating that they focused a little bit on the unintended consequences, which could be the health ramifications. So environmental pollution, as well as the danger to people just in the, in the space of car slipping or that poor woman slipping over on her bike. Yeah. And that was when we deal with the grease theft, we're dealing a lot with the economic impact. And they mentioned in their estimated $75 million of theft. We have numerous sources we'll show that's kind of the consensus across the industry of the value of the product stolen. Part of that 75 million comes out of the pockets of the restaurants for not getting their rebates, like the news report stated. And some of that is from the actual collectors. Uh, there's also the unintended loss where you're sending trucks there to pick up product and you're not getting any and they're wasting money, burning gas, driving miles. And we'll have a discussion next week about transportation, but it's $2.50 or $3 a mile to drive around to these places. And when you're going there with the product stolen, you're not getting and not providing the service and losing out the, the uncapturable value, not even in the $75 million that's lost. So it's very interesting. They mentioned some things we talked about previously with the get, getting into the drains. They mentioned, oh, it's eerily close to the sewer drain and it's going to clog it up. And then the woman falling on the bike, I've slipped on grease just walking from a grease spill. Uh, can't imagine going 10, 15 miles an hour on a bicycle and not seeing it and slipping and falling could really cause some serious injuries. So that's uh, the other side of it. Consequences I don't think about all the time. And I was really glad to watch that and say, oh, that's another item to put on this list of why this is such a problem. Not even the economics and the impacts of the businesses we work in, but the public. And they don't know about it until they know about it.
and that was that was very interesting to me. The restaurants just don't need any more hits either, Matt. They 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 had a huge amount of uh, frustration with the COVID uh, crisis that, that this country went through. Actually, around the world, the number of people, the restaurants that had to close, the the almost impossibility of staffing, the cost increases of having to bring back staff, and then to get hit with this kind of stuff just has to be so frustrating to restaurant owners and operators in the restaurant industry. I can't imagine what's next. I don't want to think about. I don't what's want to think next. about that either. <laughs> I hope everything is perfect and wonderful for restaurants. Uh, they they deal with a lot of scrutiny and many, many ends, and uh, they always seem to take the short end of the stick. And this is another area where they seem to get the short end of the stick. But the one thing I really wanted to go into first was that $75 million, the economic impact. They had mentioned $0.65 cents a pound. The market fluctuates a little bit. It's not that high right now, but this information was gathered maybe eight weeks ago, eight to 10 weeks ago, as they're putting their story together. And we've seen a pretty precipitous decline in the value. But what goes into finding that $75 million mark? What goes into the value of this used cooking oil and how that impacts the restaurants and why these vagrants, if you want to call them vagrants or thieves, really go after this liquid gold, as it's called? Yeah, so there's tremendous demand incentive right now. So we are trying to detransition from carbon. We're trying to produce more renewable energy today. Part of that solution for renewable energy is renewable diesel. It's biodiesel. It's sustainable aviation fuel. We've talked about uh, how used cooking oil makes its way into those products today. And so there's tremendous demand, uh, both from the consumer perspective, meaning us, you and I, we want a more sustainable world. Matt, you're raising a a new family right now. You want a better world for your children. You're not alone in in that boat. And then, of course, there's the economic incentive of the thieves. So today, as the value has gotten a little bit higher than it's historically been, uh, and then you combine that with maybe some more lackadaisical applications of rules of law around the country today, we're not prosecuting people for petty theft as much. And, and so on a singular basis, on a singular restaurant, it might be worth five bucks to a couple hundred bucks. But when you go out there and do 10 restaurants in a night, it could be larceny in some states. You could be talking about thousands of dollars, uh, as evidenced by that, that demonstration, that full truckload of all those little trucks we're combining raw material into. But there's also a seasonality, Matt, in, in used cooking oil. So as we get towards the harvest season in the United States of America, Northern Hemisphere, we harvest our corn, we harvest our soybeans, we also call our herds. We, have, we start uh, calling our beef herds and our turkey herds and our, and our, and our uh, pork population. And as we harvest those animals, we get fats from those. And so we get, a, we get a glut of fats in the fall. And then of course, as we start running out of those, as we put new animals back into production uh, in the spring the following year, they can start consuming those fats back, increasing the demand and the price begins to, to, to come back up. We're also importing more products today than ever before from other countries to satisfy that that detransitioning of carbon demand today in the United States. In fact, uh, October of of this year was close to a record month for imports out of Asia right now. But it was about 188,000 metric ton of product that was imported in the United States. Ironically, Darling is one of the largest importers of imported product in the United States. And so using some of those numbers they talked about, and there are 65 cents a pound for used cooking oil as a delivered value in the Gulf, today that number is in the low 40s. So in just two months, you've taken about a third of the economic value, or let's call it theft incentive on this topic today, out of that product. So we're increasing awareness and we're decreasing the economic incentive to steal that product. 188,000 metric tons. 
is equivalent to the entire restaurant services used cooking oil production monthly in the United States. Yeah, so that's about 414 million pounds of imported uh, product. And if the average restaurant kicks out, Matt, I think you and I kick this around about 500 pounds a month. Uh, yeah, 500 in the high ends, you'll get to about seven, 800. You certainly the really, really high ends that, that, that fry tons. If you're if you're a fried fish restaurant or a fried chicken restaurant, you're going to have a lot more production. But if you're a if you're a breakfast joint, you're not going to have as much uh, fryer oil coming out of there. So again, we're using an average here of 500 pounds per month, and that's also regional. We tend to fry more, believe it or not, in the South than we do say in the West Coast. Californians just eat less fried food than say uh, people do in the Southeast. Right. So. You take that 500 to 700 pounds, you put that across the 750,000 to a million restaurants in the United States, seen differing numbers, but a million plus or minus as low as 750,000, or I've seen some creeping up that say 1.2, 1.3 million. But you take that average we've seen historically across the average of restaurants they say are in production right now, and we only produce around 188,000 metric tons a month. So the amount is being doubled. And those imports, especially right now at their their peak, they've never been this high, are depressing the value of used cooking oil right now, especially with the seasonality. So we're this, they kind of mentioned 65 cents a pound. We're probably closer to 45, right? Around, maybe lost a third of its value as the seasonality comes into play. The imports have shot up to make our, our renewable fuels mandates. So that can be a de-incentivizer for theft. But uh, at, the, at the core of it, someone who wants to steal this liquid gold, they're going to keep going stealing this liquid gold. Yeah, Matt, you're not wrong. It's, it's kind of like uh, scrap metal. There's always going to be an economic incentive to, to steal the scrap metal. The question is just, is it greater than or less than it was yesterday or the day before? And so, again, the demand is not going to go away in the near term. So it's just how much they're getting for it. Yeah. And and unfortunately, a lot of the brunt of it hits the restaurant. They don't get, or the first set of the brunt hits the restaurant. They don't get their value. The second set of it hits the collector and the processor. We wouldn't get our value. What does end up happening, though, majority of this stolen product still finds its way into the renewable fuels market and still gets converted into fuel. So we're not losing the sustainable value of the product but the market is being chipped off by bad actors and thieves who are looking out for themselves and not the interest of the public and or the restaurant and or the company that's paying for the right insurance, making sure everything's protected. Because that that spill on the ground becomes an insurance claim and it's on the restaurant and the collector to settle up with the insurance company as in how we're going to clean up the spill, deal with the the, the EPA or, or the local the municipality's environmental department. And that's a lot of burden on both the collection company and the restaurant when unsavory actors are performing in unsavory manners, creating messes and spills and headaches. So there are some ways to know or notice or pay attention to what's going on and to help combat grease thieves. So I want to get into a couple of those. The first one being, first and foremost, as you saw on the vehicles in the video, Many times when you see a thieves video or, or a thieves vehicle, they're unmarked or they're rental units. So you'll see people pumping into the back of a 
rental unit box truck, or it's just an all white van or an all white pump truck with no company markings, no company logos, a lot of times no DOT numbers on the side. And that's one way to kind of notice, hey, this might not be the right company doing it. No matter where you are in the country with a reputable company, their trucks have their logos and their DOT numbers and things plastered on the side of them. One for marketing, hey, we're out here, we're doing this, this is what we do, but also to show we're supposed to be doing this. We pay for the right insurance. We train the right way effectively. We care about the environment in our processes to prevent all of these spills and actions from happening. And hey, we're also the one the restaurant calls. And that's our our logo on our truck is the same logo you're going to see on the containment unit that's being pumped out. So that's a big one. Another is time of day. Now, some collection companies like to run, especially in condensed areas, overnight routes when there's less traffic. But most of the thievery comes at night when it's dark out, when they can get in and get out, when people aren't paying attention. And those are really the two biggest factors. Does the truck look like it's not supposed to be there? And are they doing it when no one's paying attention? So you'll see on these videos, they're normally pulling 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m. camera feeds of these thieves. Now, we have seen some in broad daylight. Just pull on up, no problem. And uh, it's kind of funny. You get the kitchen manager going like, hey, you're not supposed to be here. What's going on? Uh, and again, thieves will be thieves and they'll they'll do it whenever they want. But a few things to pay attention to. If you do think you have a theft problem, look at your cameras overnight and make sure the trucks that are coming onto your premises are the ones that you've contracted to do business with and not a unpaid actor. Those were my tips. I didn't know, Paul, if you had or saw any more because at the core of it, thieves are going to be thieves. Uh, those are just two ways to kind of look out for the thievery. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, the, the industry is going to be going to more indoor containers. But even as you saw in one of the uh, uh, points of view of the video there, they were still hooking up to the cam lock that was on the building to steal from those indoor systems. So there's no yet perfect system for keeping the thieves from accessing that product. The same way they come into your garage and steal your car. If, if the thief wants it, the thief's going to find a way to get it. And so that's going to be a, a challenge for, well, forever, as long as there's economic value in that product. And one of the potentially dangerous things about hooking up to a random indoor tank and pulling it. One, you don't know how much you're stealing, but if the tank's not vented properly, if it's not being maintained properly, you could actually crunch in a tank inside of a restaurant and they show up the next morning with a nice surprise that they're not only has their oil been stolen, but their tank has been crushed and they have to then deal with a tank that's been sucked in. A lot of the companies, they have some of them have special fittings for pressure equilibrium to equalize the pressure inside the tank when they're sucking vacuum on it. So it's it can be very dangerous internally in the restaurant too, if not the appropriate safety measures are taken, uh, because there are some very particular systems that need the right process and the right collection efforts to occur. You could also ask but, your, your recycling company to, to increase the frequency of, of pickup. So that has some economic burden on the collection company you're working with today, because again, they're coming there for less value. They got the same expense to get less value out of the tank, but that can work for the benefit of both companies. The, the recycling company is going to then get the product. So Darling would get that product and the restaurant would get its fair share of the value from the product being collected. That's one way to do it. Be predictable. Make sure that your, your product is predictably going into your tank um, at a known, a known rate. Now, this is tough sometimes. Restaurants, 
have celebratory events. They might get a, a wedding or they might get a bar mitzvah. They might get a, a little league team just won the, the baseball league and they, they're all in there celebrating and, and producing some extra oil or some sort of catered event. But at the end of the day, try to be as predictable as possible to make it as easy as possible for the recycling company like Darling to pick up your product rateable. Yeah. And, and like you said, it could be a challenge, but if you normally dump Tuesdays and Fridays to change your fryers, stay on that plan as much as possible. So And communicate that to your recycling company. Make sure they know when you're dumping so they can add that to their routing system to make sure, again, they're there the day you're dumping and the day after you're dumping. Yeah, the more information, the better. Yeah, definitely the more information. recycling company. So if Dart Pro is a recycling company, believe me, they'd love to hear from you. They'd love to know uh, when you're dumping into that uh, bin as uh, when, when you are. And the, the last thing is police reports. And it's something that a lot of times a restaurant or even a collection company will let it slide. Like, uh, okay, well, we didn't get it this time. We move on. But the more evidence, and we saw that those three individuals only got criminal trespassing. They didn't get grand larceny. They didn't get petty larceny. They just got criminal trespassing because there's not enough evidence. There may not have been enough police reports. But they were back the in more the road and the more next day, report- Matt, I promise you. They, they probably went to the <laughs> right. next town over, and they but they were back in the road the next day. Their jobs didn't get to, they weren't fired. Right. So those police reports really help, especially when they start accumulating. And you could see the same truck having a pattern of activity. That pattern can create the evidence needed to get these guys off the streets, get that truck taken out of commission, and not back on the road the next day stealing another couple thousand gallons from some restaurants. So the police reports are very important. They're maybe a little time time consuming. If you're a restaurant that believes that you are a victim continuously, make sure you check out those other steps. Communicate with your recycler, of course, but also the evidence you can get in filing a police report becomes very, very helpful. There's not been a lot of punishment for this. Other areas of our industry, we've seen a lot of long-term punishment for uh, lies and deceit and fraud and theft. This specific area, we've not seen a lot of long-term punishment go on. And the longer it goes without real punishment, the more brazen that these individuals will become and just, yep, I'll get a slap on the wrist, I'll get a $300 fine, and I'll go to the next town the next day. Well, unfortunately, you're too right. Yeah, I've never been told that before, so I'll take it. (laughs) Any quick Google search will show you the evidence you need in your state, your county, uh, your region, how much grease theft is going on. It's probably a very underreported crime, uh, as you were talking about. So involvement is critical for restaurants. We want the restaurants involved, as you said, to build that body of evidence that builds the case against the perpetrators of these crimes. And then number two, of course, that communication piece, just making sure that's communicated. And then the, the, the more evidence there is of this, maybe the more the press will, will, will report on this, the more the press reports on this, the more we can drive some of these thieves out of our spaces uh, from stealing this grease. Yeah. And and like you said, here is your very basic used cooking oil theft Google search. And there's videos and articles going on and on, pages and pages. And then companies, you'll see like Darling, uh, like Mahoney there has one posting how to help prevent theft because they're impacted just like the restaurant. And how do we prevent the theft from occurring? But I mean, I'm I'm hitting I'm getting the Chicago, right? I'm here in Chicago, so I'm pulling a lot of the locals. This is from seven years ago, 2016, when the market was probably half of what it is, maybe a little more than half of what it is today, still dealing with used cooking oil theft. 
Yeah, this, this so is not it's a new been story, a, Matt. This this has been. I mean, I've been in the space now close to twenty years, and this has been uh, going on for for every bit of that that period of time. And uh, you know, there there was Darling said the answer was both, meaning is it organized crime and is it is it uh, uh, individuals? Uh, they're absolutely correct in that. There are organized rings that go out there. They move their people from city to city, state to state. So as the pressure builds, as the number of uh, thefts reported increases, they'll just parachute their equipment into the next operating zone and go steal some more product because it's that easy. You go out there at night. This is a dumpster. It's behind a restaurant. It's dark. It's trash. The way most people look at it, even though there's economic value in, in this byproduct, and it's just so easy for them to take a, uh, a Honda trash pump and, and, and put a two-inch hose in there and just suck that bin dry and then drive off and sell it to somebody else. On the other side, someone who's been involved in trading fats, oils, and greases, and now a fats, oils, and grease processing company, how do you identify stolen product? Or is it just a little wild, wild west and can't really identify it and it's just like anything else? Yeah. So there's, there's no genetic marker or anything that we can use to test that product to say, is this stolen or did this come from a legal restaurant? But it, it's it's your counterparty, Matt. It's it's the people you're dealing with, the people you talk to. So we know who the, the the real banks are. None of us go to back alleys to go change our money or do anything else to borrow money. We go to a traditional bank and you fill out forms and there's paperwork. There's a trail. There's evidence. There's uh, compliance records. There are other things that happen within the business. So you have fuel purchases for operating trucks and you have water dumping fees after you've processed your water and take it to a, a licensed uh, wastewater plant. So just for example, the 20 million pounds that comes through our little facility, we have about 2 million gallons of water that we have to take and pay to dispose of at a licensed uh, facility to take our water. So there's, there's a whole second layer of evidence if uh, someone wants to investigate where our product comes from to prove not only are we collecting this from, from restaurants we have contracts with, but also that we have uh, other things that we have to pay to dispose of that comes from that grease. The thieves probably aren't doing that. The thieves are probably finding some place to get rid of that and just dumping it, which is where the environmental concern comes in because that untreated water uh, can be a danger and a hazard environmentally. For those who want to get into the dangers of uh, fog water or fog process water, it's not super toxic in the mind that it's going to kill you, but it is not good for the living organisms in the freshwater systems and it needs to be treated before it finds its way there. We're, we'll have a whole episode. We'll have a whole episode on that on that water, but it's it needs attention and handling it properly is very very important. Absolutely. Is there anything that's ever going to happen here? So here's and here's my challenge. Right, there's seemingly more compliance coming into play. And by say seemingly, the EPA has passed very strict point of origin regulations on compliance, but is the end user? still going to look for where they can get the cheapest product or where they can, or, or, you know, we need to import almost equally amount that we produce domestically in a single month to meet some of our mandates. So seemingly that stolen product still has to go to renewable fuels. Is there an end? What, what would we need to change besides a very strict focus in law and criminality of this? Is, is that the only real option? I, sometimes I get a little stuck because it's been going on for 20 years and seemingly nothing has changed. Oh, it's been going on for more than 20 years. I mean, uh, I think we, we've joked about a book we've both read, uh, Extra Virginity, and the economic incentive for people to mix things that are not extra virgin olive oil into olive oil. And that story is what, 6,000 years old, Matt? 8,000 years old? 
Yeah, sh- I probably should have said uh, a couple thousands <laughs> years. Yeah, it's 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 an old story. And so so again, that part of it's not going to go away. But what is happening in our space today, evolutionary speaking, is the sophistication of the counterparty. The end user is demanding more and more transparency. So the people that are making sustainable aviation fuel, the people that are making renewable diesel or biodiesel, they don't want the risk of accidentally producing a product that has no known provenance. They want to be able to prove the origins of those products. That's a very different counterparty today, a Marathon, a BP, a Valero Energy. These are very different sized uh, entities with far more compliance uh, apparatus than, 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 say, Joshua Schmarmer. There's some farmers out there that, hey, if they could save a few cents a pound feeding an animal, they'd save a few cents a pound feeding an animal. And that would jeopardize potentially the animal's health, not only, but, but put a few more dollars in their pocket. As more product migrates into these sustainable energy products, the value is there to force better and better compliance. It doesn't mean it's going to go away, but it's going to help reduce some of that risk today. Interesting. And it's kind of like the hope, the the compliance value. We did an interview, or I did an interview with Chris Draper, and he's very big on the compliance value of the product having its own significant portion of the value. So now we're mid 45 cents. How much of that 45 cents is the fact that I can prove where it came from for the sustainable aviation fuel, right? I, I got my jet at 30,000 feet flying. I want to make sure it's uh, the fuel's going to work as intended and the source of the product that made it is appropriate. It's certainly a percentage. It, 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 today, it could range from 1% to 10% is that compliance piece alone. Right. And so maybe that helps depress some of the, some of the theft as they're getting less and less of the kitty when they steal. But ultimately, I agree with you. I believe it will be a challenge until people decide to stop stealing, which... I don't think people are ever going to stop stealing. <laughs> I, economic incentive. I mean, yeah, that, that, that part of it's not going to go away. How do you in, put more enforceable action on the people, the bad actors that are buying that and try to get them to stop buying this product? We'd like to see some of the, the, the outcome of this hit the people that are actually providing the incentive to go steal by making it easy to sell the stolen product. Let's punish those people. So yeah, punish the punish the end user. Not not the end user as as the fuel user, the end user as the person taking the feedstock turning it into fuel. And 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 whitewashing the paperwork that goes with it. So instead of trying to capture that that driver, I mean, think about those drivers. Why are they going out there and stealing that product? They're probably just trying to make a living. Not that I'm trying to justify at all what they're doing, but they're a small piece in a bigger machine. That aggregates into that truck, as we saw. That truck's going to go to some plant to be processed. Who's buying that? We should follow those trucks and figure out who's buying that product and trying to 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 legitimize it by probably mixing it with some of their products. Um, and let's let's discredit them and take them out of the space. Right. They say they're an honest actor, yet behind <clears throat> behind the curtain they're dishonest. Correct. So and there and there are companies that buy from what we call route drivers in the space. So our company, for example, we don't buy route-driven material by an independent third party. We don't collect it. If we can't prove it through our own GPS records, our own shipping manifest, et cetera, et cetera, we don't bring that product into our facility to process. If everyone did that, you wouldn't have a theft issue because you wouldn't have a place to take it. You'd have to pour it on the ground, which would be the hazard. And we know, especially in the Midwest, polluting anything that could hit one of those lakes is a serious, serious crime nowadays. Absolutely. Especially, they were a little less... Uh, more laissez-faire back when, uh, you know, 
they dumped everything in the lakes. And since they realized, hey, what are we doing to these beautiful resources? They've really, really stepped up the uh, compliance around maintaining these bodies of water. I know up in the, like, for example, in the upper peninsula of Michigan, you're not even allowed to use salt on the roads. You've got to use sand. They don't want any of that salt running into Lake Superior. Here in Chicago and bottom part of Lake Michigan, we we throw salt on the roads during the snow to melt the ice. But there's there's even facets like that about the about these great lakes that, you know, salt or salt products can't run off into the water. Sand, okay. Now sand is not nearly as effective as de de icing the roads, but it's part of the part of the community and government coalition together saying this is what's most important. It's most important to know we're not going to pollute the water, but during a snowstorm, the road might be a little icier because sand is a little li- bit less effective. Um, but that's part of that's part of why we have community and government together. But this year again, if they don't have a place to go, if everyone squeezes out the the thieves, them dumping it, you know, in the middle of a field somewhere that could run off, especially in the Midwest, they'd find themselves in real real hot water really quickly. If someone can make a buck, they're going to make a buck. That's the unfortunate reality of it. So we we haven't seen the drug trade go away. We haven't seen stolen product stuff go away. We're not going to see the end of this. So uh, again, back to the criticality of, of, of make sure you report this crime. Make sure you work with your licensed collector. Make sure they're licensed. Uh, make sure they have insurance. Do, do some of your own double checking there just to make sure that these people, uh, the people you're working with are above board. They, by the way, they probably would love to talk about their business with you. They'd love to engage with you, show you their facilities and what they do to maintain compliance. They'd love the engagement. I know uh, at your facility, with any of your restaurant customers, you have an open door tour policy. If you Absolutely. guys want to tour what goes on after we collect, give us a call. Let us know when you want to come. We'll let you know when, when is or isn't possible. And come in, come and look at what happens next. Absolutely. Uh, that's, that, that goes with our regulators. That goes with our customers, our vendors. It's an open door policy. We, we, we want people to understand what we do and how we do it. And one of the other things I've discussed before, and some people are very apprehensive nowadays to put pen to paper, to sign an agreement, to sign a contract. The biggest thing I've personally, when I talk to restaurants is, look, if we ever are not good with our service, you're dissatisfied. We did something we can't correct when it comes to service. You let us know that we're not the best provider or partner for you. We'll take the learning experience and we'll get better. But the reason we need to sign this is if something happens out of our control, someone steals and makes a mess, you know, this is in the dumpster corral. I've seen it many times before. The trash company knocks over the bin and makes a spill. And now it's an insurance item. If we don't have something signed, the insurance company is going to say, well, you weren't supposed to be there. We don't have anything to do with it. And now it's instead of us having protection from the unintended, we now have a more serious problem. You and that's li- one of the biggest liability. Things. That is that is correct. So and the and the signed contracts also have a, a, a different purpose. It allows each side to hold each other accountable. So not just on the on that particular spill, but if there's a rebate involved and or other values being exchanged. I know some companies today are exchanging instead of the rebate value of the, the cooking oil, you can apply that towards maybe a trap service or an interceptor service, maybe a, a jetting, a hood cleaning, et cetera, et cetera. So there, there are those reasons. And then there's the compliance piece. So uh, when it comes to the European compliance piece called ISCC, uh, they want to see those signed contracts to prove that you have a right to be on site and that product is legally yours in the transfer of the supply chain. So that's, that's that proof and validate, uh, validation and verification of that. And then in some states, like in Michigan where we operate, 
Um, believe it or not, that dumpster behind the scenes, that's personal property. So we actually pay uh, uh, literally the same thing you would pay in other states. We pay property tax on that. So I need a legal right to store that container on your property, and then I'm paying a tax on that. And it's not an insignificant tax. I mean, we pay tens of thousands of dollars a year in, in property tax uh, for every one of our dumpsters uh, behind our restaurants. Right. And so, and that's one of the things, uh, a big thing about that signed piece of paper, why it's so important. It's not that anyone's trying to hold your feet to the fire. I mean, we just discussed 15 minutes ago, restaurants tend to take the short end of the stick on a lot. A lot of times there are some companies who use that as a weapon. Your organization, our organization, we don't use it as a weapon. We use it as a safeguard. It is a safeguard for both parties to ensure that the activities in exchange are appropriate and holding each other accountable to set activities. Yeah, if you've got if you've got a counterparty trying to be like Columbia Records was in the 1980s and and lock you into something and and then not perform in the service, that's a challenge. There's plenty of other service providers out there that will not do that to you. Do your research, ask questions, ask them if they've ever sued one of their own restaurants. And if if they sued one of their own customers, <laughs> maybe that's not someone you want to be in business with. Check their insurance records. Yeah. It has happened. It, 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 there's a, <laughs> Unfortunately. There's, there, there are some companies that make it their business practice, and they literally sue hundreds, if not over thousands of the restaurants uh, to keep them, to keep the right to collect that, that, that product. So it's a simple thing. Ask the question. You ever sued one of your restaurants? If the answer is yes, is that someone you really want to deal with? You want that liability with everything else you've got going on, staffing shortages, price increases, people not being able to make it to work, uh, COVID viruses, all the things that are happening. You don't need another risk point in your operation today. You need a counterparty that's going to take care of you and work with you. And there's plenty in every state, in every metropolitan area, you're going to have a basket of choices. Find the one that works best for you. And that's what uh, the Evergreen team has always stressed. We'd love to work with you. We'd love to partner with you. And if you ever decide we're not the best partner for your business, we hope you find the best partner for your business. Because we understand. Plenty of choices. There's, There's there's plenty of choices and there's plenty of issues that restaurants have to deal with. And we, we want the restaurant to succeed. Our industry, the used cooking oil side of the industry doesn't exist if restaurants and food service doesn't exist. So we want restaurants to succeed. We want them to thrive, to be fair. And, and that's just one part of one part of the partnership of a fast oils and grease management company is doing what's needed on the restaurant side and being a, a true partner um, and not a problem. And, and Matt, I think that's the, the theme of your entire podcast, and that's why I love what you're doing here and support it so strongly, is you take this, this stuff, this byproduct, this little piece of, a, of, of the entire restaurant industry. So you think about how much different kinds of food come through restaurants and how that food is prepared. Is it fresh? Is it fried? Is it baked? Is it, is it sautéed? Uh, is it chilled? We're looking at just one aspect of one type of product. So the byproduct of, the, of not the food, but the thing, the medium on which we cook the food in, uh, getting disposed of, and it's such a small percentage of the restaurant's business, and yet it has all the intersectionality of all these different attributes. So its value, its environmental liability, it touches so much of what we do. And I'm so I'm an evangelist, evangelist of the industry more than anything else. And so again, uh, trying to raise awareness and 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 talk about these ideas and concepts because it, it can be so frustrating uh, and so confusing for so many people that, again, think of this as a waste. I'm throwing it away. It goes in this black dumpster behind my restaurant. And it's not. It's a, it's a renewable resource uh, that has intrinsic value. Not all that value is, is, is going to be available to the restaurant. 
as you pointed out, some of that value goes to the driver that's picking that product up. Some of that value goes to the, the metal behind the restaurant to, to store it. Some of that value goes to the insurance to make sure that we are all protected. Some of it goes to the lawyers when they write the contracts back and forth. Some of it goes to the electricity when we run centrifuges to process that product. So it's a just like the restaurant uh, who live on small margins. It's a it's a it's a challenging space to exist in. And today, with more imports coming in, diluting down our values today, it's going to be a little bit of a rough road ahead. There's going to be less value on the table for everyone involved, which is why this stopping this theft is so important. Yeah, and and you mentioned the the point of the podcast, and thank you for your support. Thank you for agreeing to be my my co-host on this crazy venture is I've been asked what is what is success of the podcast one person if one person listens to this show decides this is interesting the problems they discuss the challenges like grease thieves there's many other challenges that they discuss I want to help build a solution I want to learn more I want to grow I find it interesting kind of like how I found this whole thing interesting like I discussed walking through that biodiesel lab at, at Clemson, if one person decides, hey, these two fat guys talking once a week made it interesting for me, and that's why I either entered the industry or decided to do research on my own or talked about it with someone at your dinner table, we don't even have to know that it happened. But that's success. Broadening the learning of this industry and the challenges we face and bringing people in to help help us solve these problems. Because I know I don't have all these solutions. I know you don't have all these solutions. And uh, I know the kid 10, 15 years younger than me right now is definitely going to be smarter than me, especially with what will be available in the future to help solve some of these problems. So that's that's success to me. And I uh, just hope people can learn learn something about a, a challenge that's <laughs> grease thieves. I mean, it's it's crazy. And I've been at restaurants, even restaurants that we service at the time eating seeing a truck pull up that's not our truck and saying like hey buddy you can't be here right now my favorite story is catching thieves with pickaxes and shovels trying to turn the pickaxe and shovel frozen fat out of a grease bin and honestly at that point in time we said if they're that desperate they can have that one and and yeah because that's 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 a whole new level of ambition try to pickaxe shovel uh frozen fat out of a dumpster (laughs) One of the other challenges with with thieves is the video in the beginning. Yeah, they cut the locks. You know, that's a couple dollars for a new lock, not the end of the world, but they cut the lock. Then they bend and break the bin. That lid is a hundred bucks. I've got to replace the lid a hundred bucks. Well, Some that, of them that's use just drills. The, bin, that's a, the, the lid cost, Matt. Think about dispatching a driver, uh, sending them out there. That's a, that's a several hundred dollar right. expense to, to go out there and put a new, uh, yeah. And some of these bins are single unit, so the lid and the bin are all Learning attached. It. So then they take saws or hole saws, you know, a six-inch hole saw. Unfortunately, they go to Home Depot or Lowe's, and it's not their problem. The Home Depot and Lowe's are, are selling building materials and tools to help people build. And some of those are hole saws, and they take a hole saw, and they drill a giant hole to fit their hose in. And now you got a giant hole in a place you're pouring liquid. Uh, liquids and holes don't go too well together. <laughs> and those bins. Eight hundred to a thousand dollars a piece. Oh, some of the some of the indoor systems can be in the tens of thousands of dollars. So you mentioned some of those indoor tank systems. Some of those are very sophisticated systems. They're insulated. They're dual walled. They have uh, IoT devices built into them to to, to sense uh, fullness, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and send automatic signals that hey, I need I need a service. Some of those are very sophisticated systems, and they're piped into the restaurant's plumbing system. 
So when you damage that tank, you could be damaging the, the plumbing system that's in the restaurant, creating other issues in there. So yeah, but you're not you're not wrong. The sophistication of the tool today, especially the the what we're going to call the power tools, the battery powered tools, really puts an enormous amount of theft power in the hands of thieves. So these could be battery-powered pneumatic systems, battery-powered rotary systems, be able to cut or uh, break into systems today. Uh, think about the jaws of life 20 years ago or 30 years ago and, and how big those tools were and how powerful they were. Today, I can put that in your hands for a few hundred dollars. That's, a, that's making it much easier to steal these products. Yeah, and it's a shame. I mean, I agree with you. Someone's taking a pickaxe to a frozen fat bin. Uh, we discussed last episode about uh, the Wabo and how it actually melts the outside so you can dump it. So if someone's really going to break in with a pickaxe and try and shovel congealed fat and congealed cooking oil out in the upper peninsula of Michigan when it's 15 degrees outside, more power to them. I won't be doing that. I won't be stealing anything for that matter, but I definitely wouldn't be doing that. Um, or if you dispatch a driver and there was no way for them to safely pick it up, we'd say, hey, we're going to take this one on the chin. We'll go back another time. I wouldn't even have a professionally trained driver doing that. So if they're going to go that far and in their rudimentary theft actions, so be it. But the they really have found ways, handheld power tools to cut, to break any way they can. If they're there and they see product in the bin, they're going to do whatever they can to get it. And unfortunately, that means damaging personal property. And here's here's a full circle back to why police reports matter is because companies like in states like Michigan pay property tax on it. If someone came up and smashed your window in and want to file a police report, that's your property. You pay tax on it. Same with these bins. I know they just look like something out back that no one notices, uh, but someone's paying the state uh, a property tax on that bin. And those damages, unfortunately, right now come out of these companies' pockets. The value of that bin might be uh, greater than the sum total of all the grease put in that bin for many years combined. So if you're, if you're a small seasonal place where you're only open in, say, like the summertime, uh, maybe you're you know associated with golfing or something like that, and you're not, not year-round, yeah, the value of that bin and the damage of that bin could be worth more than the sum total of all the grease put into that bin for a couple of years. Not to mention the, the, the operating expense that goes with operating, having to go out to replace that and do those things. Those are, those are, those are known challenges right now. And one we, we work hard to solve every day. Uh, they don't come easy, these challenges. Uh, one day it's one thing, one day it's another. But yeah, if someone someone listening has a better idea on how to keep thieves away, we're we're all interested. We're not we're not interested in harming or booby trapping. Those are not what we're interested in doing. But any other ideas <laughs> we're open for. Just just keep in mind for every you build the wall a little bit higher, someone's gonna find a way to get over top of that wall. So yes. um, there there are things that can deter thieves. But if a thief really wants access to that that oil, they're going to find a way to get in there. And they're, they're geniuses about doing that. They truly are. So, Matt, what are we talking about next time? Next week, exciting week, we are going to have a certified transportation professional. His name's Joe Wilson. He's going to be with us discussing transportation and logistics, a foreign concept to me when I got in this industry. Uh, Joe's been doing it for two decades plus and very knowledgeable to help us navigate a little bit of this uh, crazy transportation and logistics world we find ourselves in. Also, he's dealt with used cooking oil collection. He's dealt with over-the-road trucking in many forms and many regions of the country. So very excited to 
do a little interview with Joe, learn a little bit more about uh, the trucking and transportation and logistics space. Sounds exciting. Thanks, everyone, for joining. Talk to you next week. Have a great week. For more industry insights and education on how you can interact with the circular fats, oils, and grease economy, please like, subscribe, leave a comment, and ring the bell to get a notification when our next episode drops. Follow us on X at Fat Guys Podcast and find out more information on our show site, thefatguyspodcast.com. Thanks for stopping by.